With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, September the 25th, 2023. It is currently 3 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, right here next to me on the table that I'm sitting at, I have a copy of God's No and God's Yes, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther. I have a Bible. I have a notebook. I also have, over here, the beautiful, beautiful copy of God Granted Daily Devotionals from C.F.W. Walther. A listener sent this to me. Very, very, very grateful for it. I have that sitting right here. So I have all... That's a pretty good idea than what we're getting ready to do. We're going to talk about law and gospel. It feels like it's been a few weeks. It really feels like we've kind of... We've been, we're a little behind in this series. I know we have so far to go and so much to do before we can bring this to a, a somewhat of a dramatic conclusion. I feel like the end for this series, I don't even know. I can't even see the ending yet, but we're just going to keep taking these small steps day after day, getting closer and closer. But the most important thing is no matter how long it takes us to get to the end, by the time we get anywhere close to that finish line, to that dramatic conclusion, I hope you'll be able to say, I understand the proper distinction between law and gospel better than I have ever understood it in my life. And I can explain it and I can deal with all of the text from a proper distinction of law and gospel perspective. That is the goal. I don't know if we're, if I'm going to accomplish that, but I'm doing my very best to try to accomplish that. So you know what we're doing? We're currently doing a law and gospel redo. We made it pretty far into the series using uh, Walther's theses. We made it to thesis number 11, 11 or 12. Felt like that I kind of lost the audience a little bit. So we did kind of a reset. We went back and we're now going through the, the thesis again of CFW Walther. But this time, instead of me just teaching the, the, the 25 theses, what we're doing is we're having Issues ETC, the Lutheran radio program slash podcast. They're doing a series on the proper distinction between law and gospel using CFW Walther and the same 25 thesis. So we're listening to them talk about them and we're reviewing it. Now, remember, it's a radio program. So what we're doing is we're taking each one of my episodes is only reviewing a very, very little small segment 
of one of their episodes because we're taking the the parts between commercial breaks and we're just reviewing that. And when when that segment ends and they get ready to go to another commercial, we just stop our episode. And then the next time we pick up the next little small segment. I know this is making this go much slower, but I think it's more interesting this way because it's it's little smaller sections, hopefully allowing to reinforce remind so that you will retain this very important information. So are you ready? Let's go to an uh, an episode of Issues ETC as they're getting ready to begin another discussion on a new thesis from CFW Walther. And uh, hopefully this will be beneficial. Are you ready? I hope so. Uh, typically our introductions are a little bit longer, but hey, we're just going to jump right in and see if we can accomplish something on this Monday. September the 25th, 2023. Can you believe September of 2023 is almost over? And then we have just a few months left of this year. And then 2024 is in front of us. A lot of, uh, a lot of questions waiting for us in 2024, right? I, I really feel 2024 has a lot of unanswered questions. And I, I don't know if I even want to know some of the answers for 2024, but, uh, Hey, we're going to do make, you know, we can't really worry. We did a, a little devotional about how to, you know, the proper philosophy and dealing with tomorrow. I, I can't answer any of those questions. I don't even know if the questions are going to remain the same. It could be different questions. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know we have just a few months left in this year. So I'm going to do my best to turn on this microphone whenever I get an opportunity to hopefully bring you content that you will find to, find to be beneficial and helpful. So are you ready? Here we go. CFW Walther comparing what he calls the worst fault in modern preaching says these preachers are like a ranger that sallies forth into the woods and discharges his gun or an artilleryman who thinks he's done his duty by taking up his position with his cannon in the line of battle and discharging his cannon they preach, they walk away saying, I preach the word of God, but he says it has no effect. Why is that? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Now, I'm going to stop right here. We can make this, we could take that quote right there. We could take that quote and really turn it into its own podcast series. Why does the preaching of God's word at times seems, why does it seem to have no effect? Now, the first argument would be, well, wait a minute, what effect are you expecting, right? Because it could be having effect, just not the effect that you thought or you planned. But I think it is a question that at least every Christian should ask. You go to church week after week after week after week after week after week after week. You listen to sermons, you read devotionals, you do Bible studies. Is it having the effect that you imagined it would? Like, what effect is it supposed to have? You go to church, you try, you drive past church after church after church after church on your way to church. Typically, typically people drive a good distance to the church they go to. Rarely do people attend the church right there next to their house. That's, that, that may be common for some, but I think for the majority it is not. So you drive by this church and this church and this church and this church. Now, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Why are you driving past all of these other churches? Okay. But I digress. The issue is all these people pull up in those parking 
parking lots. They walk into those buildings that cost all kinds of money to keep, you know, to up for the upkeep, for the for the mortgage, for whatever, for insurance, for for electricity, all the money that goes into maintaining those buildings and all the staff that is hired there to work, right? And and, and that doesn't even count. Maybe janitorial services, yard, all the different, all the money that goes into that. But all these people pull into the parking lot. They go in. They hear a sermon. They leave. Did the preaching of God's word have an effect? Did it really mean anything? Did it really accomplish anything? And then you have study after study after study that demonstrates that what you preach on a Sunday morning, half of the people are more than half have already forgotten what you've preached Sunday night. And by Wednesday, no one really remembers what you preached on Sunday morning or Sunday evening. So then at that point, you're like, well, then is it having an effect? What is the effect of preaching of God's word? What should it be? What should it look like? Why does it not work? Now, CFW Walther believes that a lot of people go, they preach, they think it's going to have an effect, but it doesn't really have an effect. Now, he's going to, he's obviously going to put forth his, I think we know where he's going to go. CFW Walther is going to put forth the thesis. The reason it doesn't have an effect is because they're not properly distinguishing between law and gospel. But I would push back a little bit because I was a Lutheran. I went to a Lutheran church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And guess what? I saw those people come to church. There was the proper distinction between law and gospel, but they were just like the people who was at the church down the block who wasn't doing the proper distinction between law and gospel. So I don't think it's that simple. Right? We, we talk about that it's the word of God that, that we talk, we, we, we typically, and a lot of times in Bible college, seminary, Bible institute, usually somewhere in like an early course, you'll have to look up all the scriptures that talks about the effects the word of God has, right? Well, all the things that it does, it, you know, renews the mind, it does, it enlightens the eyes, it, it all, and then you say, see, the word of God is what has the power, and these, and this is what the word of God will do. So if you, as a pastor, will stand before the people and give them the word of God. This is what you should expect to see in the lives of your people. But I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. And the question is why? It's a whole podcast episode in and of itself. And it's something for you to work, struggle with. Does the word, is the word of God having an effect on your life? Can you measure it? Now, CFW Walter is going to say it's not having an effect because they're not doing a proper distinction between law and gospel. I wish it was that simple. I don't believe it is, but let's see how they approach this. Here we go. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Monday afternoon, July the 10th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon will be our guest. It'll be part eight of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Then in hour two, we'll take up the propers surrounding the parable of the sower, for the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, according to the three-year lectionary, with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Will Whedon is Assistant Pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as Director of Worship for the LCMS. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot, Todd. We're in the 12th evening lecture, and this comparison that CFW Walther makes to this ranger, this artilleryman, who simply go out and fire their weapon and think they've done their duty, how does he tie that back into what he calls the worst fault in modern preaching? Well, he finds the the worst fault in modern preaching to be sort of an aimlessness in the preaching. It's maybe thought of as beautiful words said 
exquisitely. And at the same time, it doesn't have an aim. It doesn't have a point. The, the gun may be fired, but it's not shooting anybody dead. The law doesn't actually strike home because it's not applied in a specific way. It's left general. And in the same way, the gospel doesn't hit home because there is nobody struck by the law to actually then receive the comfort of the gospel. Okay, as I as I figured he would do, as I kind of predicted, uh, CFW Walter, they're going to go with this idea that, hey, the preaching is aimless. It's just there's aimlessness in the preaching. It's not the law is not striking anyone, so you don't have anyone wounded. So therefore, the gospel is not having an effect. The law is not having an effect. Therefore, preaching is not having an effect. It's kind of a uh, useless. It's vain. It's meaningless. And so the solution is you properly use the law. You properly use the gospel. Then your preaching will have a profound effect and it will be different. But again, there are Lutheran churches all across the United States of America. Now, come on now. Come on now. I, 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 listen, you can look up his uh, Bible study that he does. I mean, this, the gentleman that is talking, he, he hosts a, a, you know, a Monday through Friday Bible study in a podcast form, 15, I think it's 15 minutes long. And guess what? You can, he's going to properly distinguish between law and gospel. Listen to that exclusively. C- quit all other podcasts, all other sermons, only listen to him for three months and see, is it, ha- does it have a more profound effect on you than all of the other preaching you listen to? See, everyone always feels like that. Hey, I've got the formula. See, the reason the church is a mess is because they don't follow my formula. If they would follow my formula, they, and look, we all do that. I Look, I have my ideas on how church should be done. I have my ideas on how preaching should be done. I have my ideas, and I'm very dogmatic about those. And obviously, I, I, but I'm willing to admit that my ideas and my perspective has failed from, at least in human terms, because it's definitely not has the, had the effect that I thought. And trust me, most people don't like what I do, don't like how I do it, and have have no desire to support it or even be even aware a part of it. So I know that my ideas failed, but I just don't know if anyone has some corner on the market of, hey, look, there's lots of churches that grow in number, 10,000, 20,000. They have a massive global impact and, and, and seem to be touching people around the world. But sometimes when, when it's all said and done and after the smoke clears... Did it have any more of a true lasting impact than all the other preaching? Because sometimes we see the effect of God's word based on numbers. Hey, that podcast got a million downloads. They're obviously having a bigger effect than that one. That church has 20,000 people and that church has three. Well, the one that has three is considered useless and not having an effect. How do we measure it? Let's see, as they continue to tell us, how, I guess, preaching can have a true effect. It's beautiful the way he lays it out there. And it's also interesting to note, Todd, the the time. This will be the last of the lectures before the Christmas break. So he's in, uh, I looked it up, that would be in that year, that would have been the second week of Advent. It's the Friday before the third Sunday of Advent. And the next one will pick up in January. And he's actually going to treat this particular thesis in more than one lecture. That's kind of unusual for what he's done heretofore. He's going to take time to actually unpack it intensely. And he really wants his students to understand how important it is in their preaching that, especially maybe they're preaching at Christmas time, that they don't just tell beautiful stories about the baby Jesus and the, the angels and the Magi, but that they know how to preach in such a way that their words strike the hearer's heart, that the hearers say, oh man, 
he meant me. Not, he's really clear, not that you go around and, and take, so, so you, you find out what people's sins are in confession, and then you go in and the sermon and you nail them. No, not at all, he's saying, but rather that people in a general condition that you can come to recognize in violation of this commandment or that commandment. He wants that absolutely preached and exposed to, especially when the people have become comfortable in the sin that they've embraced contrary to God's commandment. So um, he really, in this particular lecture, gives you some of the most, well, I think it's some of the most comforting stuff in the entire volume of the book. I bet you had it underlined in your old copy. I certainly have it in mine, the, the two letters from Luther that he'll quote, but also just his whole biblical exposition of who you preach what to. It's very, very well done. So the... Eighth thesis reads, in the fourth place, the word of God is not rightly divided. When the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins, or the gospel to those who live securely in their sins. Where do- okay, we'll stop. Wait, won't stop. We're going to interrupt right here. We're not going to come, come. To- it's like, hey, that's the end. Thanks for listening. But we're going to stop it right there. And I'm just going to read that thesis again. This is thesis number eight. I'm using uh, the book, God's No and God's Yes, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther. Here's thesis number eight. Listen carefully. All right, here we go. In the fourth place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins. In other words, someone who's broken over their sins, they're frightened over their sins, they're humiliated, they're they're just embarrassed by their sins. They know what they have done is wrong and they're broken over it. You don't go and preach the law to them. All right, the, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins. At the same time, you don't present the gospel to those who live securely in their sins. They feel no guilt. They feel no shame. You don't preach the gospel to them. Those who feel, who feel no guilt are not broken and not humiliated and humbled. They need the law. Those who've been broken and are humiliated and feel shame and feel guilt, they need gospel. So this is knowing when to present what and at the right time. Now, again, they, they've kind of their introduction gave the idea that if you do this the right way, then your preaching will have an effect. And I'm not, that is where I have a problem. I do believe this, this is correct, that we need a proper distinction between law and gospel. And there's a time you share law and there's a time you share gospel. I do believe that's accurate, but I don't know if it's going to make your preaching have any more effect. I think that's a whole different problem to try to unpack, but let's see how they're going to handle this thesis. Where does he go from there? Well, he reminds people right away of the way he listed out the differences between law and gospel at the beginning. And point number six was they differ as regards to the person to whom either the one or the other doctrine must be proclaimed. And this is just the exposition of that. He says the gospel must be preached only to bruised, contrite, miserable sinners and the law only to contrite sinners. And if you invert this order, you end up confounding both of them and commingling them into a very dangerous, noxious substance. 
Now, I do agree there. If you if if you mean if you invert the order here, if you mess up the order, you do merge law and gospel and it, you break you ultimately kind of mess up. Well, as I always say, the minute you mess up gospel, you only end up with law. It's almost impossible for us to mess up the law because we're so law-based as it is, but we almost inevitably end up doing damage to the gospel. So his scriptures on which he bases this are really two. First, he turns to 1 Timothy 1, which he did already in that uh, first lecture when he was introducing the topic. 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 10, we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous, for a justified man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for man-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Beautiful passage. Now, I think this is an important passage because, once again, I'm going to read it, 1 Timothy 1.8, 1 Timothy 1.8. If you're participating in our uh, Bible Pop Quiz, a podcast series slash podcast, uh, 1 Timothy one could possibly show up on a pop quiz. So you may want to pay attention. First Timothy chapter one, verse eight. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. For the law to truly be good, you have to use it in a lawful way. And you need to think about your Christian life and what ways have you used the law of God in an unlawful way? In what ways have you used it in a lawful way? I don't think it's probably a question that you've been asked as a Christian. Hey, look at your Christian life. In what ways have you used the law of God in an unlawful way? I, I, we, I almost want to just stop right there and try to put forth some ideas, but I think it's something that we must uh, consider. Passage from St. Paul, 1 Timothy 1, 8-10. And, and he points out, look, the law is not given to a person who's made righteous in Christ. It's given to the unrighteous and disobedient. They're the persons to whom the law should be preached. To make a miserable, contrite sinner the subject of law preaching is to commit a grievous sin against him because the gospel is what ought to be preached to him. And his proof text there is to turn back to Isaiah 61, which you remember Jesus picked up and read in the synagogue, well, right after his baptism when he came back to Galilee. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Now, right in the middle of that, you hear the thing about the day of vengeance, and he clarifies right away, hey, 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 don't you hear that as the Son of God taking vengeance out on humanity? No, he means the Son of God taking vengeance out on Satan, who had hurled the human race as a whole into great misery. So that's the day of vengeance. It's a cheering, comforting message. God siding with us, taking his stand with us. It's the same theme that Luther 
puts forth in his great hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, that the, the father says to his son, it's time to have compassion. Go, bright jewel of my crown. Bring to them salvation from sin and sorrow. Set them free. Slay bitter death for them that they may live with you forever. And he says, these texts show us that according to God's word, not a drop of evangelical comfort is to be brought to those who are still living securely in their sins. And on the other hand, if someone is brokenhearted, you don't give them a syllable containing a threat or a rebuke, but only promises conveying consolation and grace, forgiveness, righteousness, life, and salvation. And then this is the part I really love in this. He backs this up with some very biblical examples. First of all, Jesus' own practice. He turns to a number of instances in our Lord's life for us to think about. The first one is the sinful woman who came and anointed him. This story is in Luke 7, you recall. The woman crept in, and uh, she was so—remember, she, she was crying over Jesus' feet, washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And she's criticized— uh, and Jesus is criticized by the Pharisee in whose house he's gathered because the Pharisee is like, man, if you were really a righteous man from God, you would know what kind of a woman that is that's touching you there, buddy. And Jesus responds with sort of an amazing parable about, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Say on. And then he says, so there was a, a man who, who had two debtors. The one owed him a whole pile and the other only a little bit. So when he just straight out forgave them both. Which do you think loved him more? And, you know, Simon's not a dummy. He's like, well, I guess the one who got forgiven more. And Jesus is like, right. So look, I came into your house. You didn't give me any of the usual courtesies that would be received. But this woman, since she came in, she's not stopped crying over my feet and washing them and wiping them with her hair, anointing them. This woman, then, whose sins are great and many, they've been forgiven. And he tells the woman, this woman who had sinned greatly, who had a reputation in the city, we, we assume, we, you know, a sexually immoral reputation. He just sends her away with the words, thy sins are forgiven and thy faith hath saved thee. I mean, that's what he says. And off she goes. So Jesus doesn't rebuke her. And at the same time, he throws in a reference to John 8, which is a very similar story, right? The woman caught in the very act of adultery. And they've got the stones in hand, man, according to the law. They're ready to kill her. They're ready to throw the stones at her. And what happens? Jesus stoops down on the ground, writes. And when he looks up and they demand that he answer, he says, okay, kill her, throw the stones, only the one of you who doesn't have any sin gets to throw the first stone. And then he went down and kept on doodling on the ground. And one by one, the stones fell all across the court. And they all walked away. And when they had left, which they should not have done, they should have dropped their stones and walked and stood right beside her. When they had been convicted by the law, that's where they belonged. Then they would have heard the word of gospel. Jesus stood and said, woman, did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he gives her this gift without a word of reproof. I mean, he does encourage her to a new life, but he says right at the beginning, he doesn't say, if you go and sin no more, then I'll forgive you. He says, 
I do not condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So that's a two sort of related examples that he. Now those two related examples, again, are people who know they're sin- are sinners. They're broken. They're humiliated. They're, they're being publicly shamed in certain ways. And of course, no law is preached to them. No, not even a rebuke, just the words of comfort, the words of forgiveness, the words of mercy, which I think are very, very important. Now, before we move on, before we move on, uh, someone um, on Spreaker said, not sure if it's just me, but the sound is dropped Uh, is dropped in and out. I do not know exactly what's happening on my side. I tried to figure it out, but um, I can't. So if you're having a problem with the sound, I apologize. As soon as this live broadcast is over, then this recording will be uploaded. I will verify if there's a sound problem. If there's a sound problem, then I will delete everything and then we'll have to do it over. I I hope there's not a problem, but it's almost impossible for me during a live broadcast to try to verify. Um, If anyone else is listening, if you're uh, having the same problem, please hop into the chat and let me know. If no one else is having a problem, Hopefully, when I upload this live broadcast, the problem will be, uh, well, won't be present. Maybe it's just something happening during the live broadcast. So we will see. All right. Now, back to this. So I want to make sure we understand this whole thesis. The thesis is there's a right time to preach that law and there's a wrong time to preach that law. There's a right time to preach the gospel and there's the wrong time to preach the gospel. Someone who is already broken and humbled and humiliated over their sin, you don't need, no go, you don't need to go preach more law to them. You don't need to start offering admonitions and commandments and do this and do that. You just need to preach that in Christ Jesus, there is forgiveness. Christ has died for your sins. Believe in the gospel and just take comfort in the gospel. Cling to the cross. You don't need, you just offer them the gospel. Now, someone who is in their sin, who is, they don't seem to care. There's no brokenness. They're they're not humiliated. They're not humbled. They're not, they're not shamed in any way, shape or form. Well, then they, they don't need the gospel. They need the law. And so he's really trying to emphasize this. So he used Luke seven. Um, very, uh, that's a, a key passage here. He used Luke chapter seven and then John chapter eight were the two passages that were being referenced. And you can look at them clearly for yourself. Now let's see where else they continue taking this thesis. He offers, first of all, about the practice of the Lord Jesus. And we will get into a few more examples from CFW Walther as we walk through our series on the proper distinction between long gospel with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. There you have I told you these segments are short. I'm telling you, they come in and boom, they're over before you know it. Sometimes they kind of leave me like, wait, wait, wait. Keep going, but that's okay. That's how the segments are broken down. They give you specific things to focus on. So for this particular thesis, you can focus on really four scriptures. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Luke 7. I'm just going to go find the entire story in Luke 7. I'm going to go because he kind of paraphrased it. Luke 7. You can see why they have to paraphrase it because, well... They have limited time in their segments. Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, and you can probably start, let's see here. Where would we want to start this story? Um, Luke chapter 7. 
start in verse 36, Luke 7, verses, I'm going to say Luke 7, uh, Luke 7, 36 to 50, Luke 7, 36 to 50. That's, that's really where you want to spend a lot of time reading Luke 7, 36 to 50. Um, yeah, very important. Uh, Luke 7, 36 to 50. And then the other story, you know, very well, I know there's lots of debate whether it belongs in the text or doesn't belong in the text. It's John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses uh, basically 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Those are four passages of scripture that you really can read. But this thesis, this is one of the most... Uh, direct thesis. This is the one that's not very complicated, right? This is the one that's pretty straightforward, right? You know, just sometimes Christians, we forget this. When someone sometimes has fallen into great sin and humiliated and, and shame and broken, we have a tendency to just either say, ooh, did you hear about? Ooh, did you? And we want to spread the news to everyone because we want to gossip and slander. Or we merely go, I don't know what that person's problem is. They should have done this and they shouldn't have done this and they were stupid to do this and they were stupid to do that. Or if we're talking to someone, well, you should have known better. You shouldn't do this and you need to do this. And now you, and you start giving them all these things they need to do instead of saying, Christ died for you. And in Christ Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That though they may be scarlet, they're now white as snow. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. His, sin, his grace is greater than your sin. Offering that hope, we're not so good at doing that sometimes. We're not so good. And then sometimes those who are just kind of secure in their sin and don't seem to care, uh, you know, sometimes do we do we want to try to preach the law to them because we may feel like, well, are they really going to accept it? Well, there's a time that you need to present the law to them because that's what they need. They don't need the gospel. Sometimes we want to give them the gospel when we, sometimes we want to give the people who need the gospel, the law. And sometimes the people who need the law, we want to give the gospel. And we have to know how to rightly divide the word of truth and know when to use both, when to use each. And it, I think it's very important to know that very important distinction, the proper distinction between law and gospel. There you have it. The thesis again. Let me read it to you one more time. In the fourth place, the word of God is not rightly divided. When the law is preached to those who are already in terror on account of their sins or the gospel to those who live securely and their sins. And the main store, the main passage of scripture, I, I, I feel almost like we probably should just literally walk through the whole thing. Maybe, maybe we'll come back to it and do some work on it because I think it is a beautiful story. Is Luke chapter 7, again, starting in verse 36, going all the way to verse 50. I would challenge you today to just spend some time reading and meditating on it. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely find a way to do something with it. But for now, we just wanted to review the next section. If I start working through Luke 7, 36 to 50, yeah, th this will turn into an hour and a half easy. All right. Okay. All right. I'll stop right there. We will continue this review of the proper distinction between law and gospel on thesis number eight. The next time we come to you live with another episode in our ongoing series on understanding law and gospel. We've done now well over a hundred hours of teaching on this subject. Hopefully you're finding all of this to be helpful and beneficial.
All right. If you were having any problems with the sound during the live broadcast, no one else came into the chat to say one way or the other. So I don't know what that means. Okay. I'm hoping that there's no problem, but if you had a problem, we will, I will go check the audio right now, upload this. It should be available within the next five to 10 minutes. And if the problem was not uh, on the recording, only on the live broadcast, then you can have this broadcast without any of the possible problems that happened during. I apologize for any problems anyone encountered and I hope the uh, broadcast still will prove to be beneficial. All right. But I'll leave you with that very important question that they, they mentioned in their intro, but they never returned to. What truly makes the preaching and study of God's word effective? What really, what, what, how is it showing up as being effectual in your life, having an effect in your life? Why, why is there so much preaching, so much teaching, so many sermons, and we seem not to, it seems not to be having an effect? Are we thinking it should have a specific kind of effect? What are we looking at? How, what, what is the possible, pro- everyone has their theory. I don't think anyone has yet come to a good answer. Everyone thinks they have the answer, but I, I don't, if anyone did, every, everybody would be, would be like, well, I'm going to use that answer. And then every church and all the sermons, everyone would have this profound effect, but Look at everyone's life. Look at your own life. I think it's an important question to consider. All right, thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.